just imagine. The mightiest heroes of our time. Superman. Batman. Flash. Green Lantern. Wonder Woman. Hot Girl. John Jones, Manhunter from Mars. Have banded together as the Justice League to stamp out the forces of evil wherever and whenever they appear. The Fire and Water Podcast Network proudly presents... JLU Cast. Hello and welcome to the 18th episode of JLU Cast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, covering the animated adventures of the Justice League and their eventual evolution into Justice League Unlimited. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Franklin. And I'm Chris Franklin, and today we're covering the fifth two-part story from Season 2 of Justice League, Hearts and Minds. These episodes feature not only some guest stars in the form of the Green Lantern Corps, but also the DCAU debut of one of the Justice League's oldest foes, Despero. So let's dig into the Watchtower Files for some info on old Finhead. Watchtower Files. Despero has the honor of being the first villain the Justice League ever fought in their own title. Debuting in Justice League of America number 1, October-November 1960, created by writer Gardner Fox and artist Mike Sikowski. Despero was a mutant on his home planet Kalinor and used his hypnotic third eye to conquer the planet. Scientist Jason R. escaped to Earth to seek help and found it in the Justice League, but Despero followed Jason R. He hypnotized most of the League and then challenged Flash to a game of chess with his teammates as their pawns. The JLA survived their trials on various worlds, and then Despero was defeated by Snapper Carr. Huh. Okay. Using Jason R's weapon. Yeah. Snapping freaking Carr. <laughs> in his second appearance in JLA number 26, March 1964, Despero created three duplicates of Earth to conquer. Wow. But involved the Justice League out of his need for revenge. Of course they defeated him again. Dude, you just created three planets? Who cares about the Justice League? Right. <laughs> Despero had a long wait before returning in JLA 133 through 134, August, September 1976, recently covered on the Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast show with Rob and Dr. Ange. Yes, they recently covered that storyline. Despero was back to playing chess. He really likes chess. But this time was John Jones in JLA number 177 through 178 in 1980. When Despero returned in JLA 247 through 254 in 1986, he had greatly changed. Escaping prison, he remembered the Kalinorian legends of the Fire of Hytar. The legend was said to purify and strengthen those who were brave enough to enter. Despero tested the legends and emerged a more physically powerful being than ever before, but now symbiotically linked to the Fire of Hytar. He came to Earth to destroy the Justice League during their Detroit phase and nearly did so until the League was able to extinguish the flame, destroying Despero's body in the process. But through sheer force of will, Despero was able to reconstitute his body into an even larger and more savage form than before. He came to Earth to, you guessed it, once again destroy the Justice League, but this time find him, found himself facing off against Justice League International in one of their few relatively humorless adventures in Justice League America 37 through 40 in 1990. He wrecked a good portion of New York, including the UN building, until Martian Manhunter was able to telepathically convince him that he had succeeded. Satisfied, Despero withdrew into himself and his body devolved back into a fetus. Okay. <laughs> that fetus was put into the care of interplanetary barterer Magna Khan. Eventually, Despero's body grew back to its normal state and he attacked the League again. Only the League's robot ally and former MagnaCon servant, Elrond, was able to stop him. 
He used a slave collar device to switch bodies with the brutish Despero, trapping the villain's mind in his small robot shell, which was eventually destroyed, seemingly killing Despero for good this time. Elrond and Despero's body enjoyed some time as a hero, becoming a member of Justice League Task Force, but of course Despero's spirit lived on and tried possessing other bodies for some time until finally he was reunited with his original form. In his original form, Despero's fin ran side to side. After emerging from the fire of Pytar, it ran front to back like a mohawk. The animated design follows the latter, although his skin is more purple than the comic's magenta. Yeah, and he's appeared in like he was on the Brave and the Bold, uh, and he had the more traditional uh, fin side to side, and they actually made an action figure of that. But there's been several action figures. There was a Total Justice action figure of Despero, and the DC Universe Classics Build-A-Figure Despero was him during his heroic phase when Elrond was in his body. He's in his Justice League Task Force outfit. Mm. So it's kind of strange, but yeah. So Hearts and Minds originally aired October 25th, 2003, written by Keith Damron, directed by Butch Lukic, with music by Lolita Ritmanis. Our voice cast, we have the usual Carl Lumley as John Jones, Phil Lamar as Green Lantern, Michael Rosenbaum as The Flash, Maria Canals as Hot Girl and guest starring, Keith David as Despero, Kim May Guest as Kat Matui, Dennis Haysbert as Kilowog, Pepe Serna as Shiflet, Carlos Ferra as Rodoko, and Renee Abengenois as Gallius Zed. Now, just a note before we get started, we have several Green Lanterns, and we also have our persistent John Stewart and John Jones problems mm -hmm. as far as naming them, since his teammates almost always call him GL in the field, at least as Justice League ones. For the most part, John Stewart will be referred to as GL. Okay. The other Green Lanterns will be called by their name. Now, that's about the only way I could figure out how to do it when I was writing the synopsis mm -hmm. out that made any sense. We'll occasionally call John Stewart John or John Stewart, but for the most part, he'll be GL. John Jones will be John, and the other Green Lanterns will have their own name. So, here we go. Okay. <laughs> On the desert planet Kalinar, four members of the Green Lantern Corps, Kat Matui, Kilowog, Gallius Zed, and Arcus Chamuk, find their simple extraction mission going horribly wrong. They are outgunned by Kalinorian ships and forced to retreat into a nearby cave. Ground forces emerge surrounded into a in a mysterious blue flame, which the Lantern's power rings seem unable to defend against. Gallius and Arceus choose to seek the high ground against Katmatui's orders and fly out of the cave, only to be disintegrated by the warship's powerful flame. Your contact in the resistance obviously missed a detail or two. Quit griping, let's just do our job. This is pointless. We need more altitude. I'm with you. Stop! You're not dealing with more recruits here, Katma. Wait! Oh. No! Huh? Get along, just to warn the Guardians. I'm not leaving without you. No, I'll have to cover your escape. The only way. Uh, Katma. I'm in charge here, Kilowog. Now go! Katma tells Kilowog he must warn the Guardians, and he reluctantly leaves her behind. The Kalinorian soldiers advance on her energy shield with their flame, resulting in a giant explosion as Kilowog blasts out of the planet's orbit. Outside the Watchtower, Green Lantern John Stewart is making repairs and taking direction from Hot Girl on a monitor. The two bicker until an alert breaks up the banter. An incoming bogey is headed toward Earth. 
and GL follows it, with Flash and John Jones right behind him in the Javelin 7. The mystery projectile makes impact somewhere in the southwestern U.S. desert, and GL is shocked to find his core mate, Kilowog, at the epicenter of a massive crater. GL stirs Kilowog to consciousness, but all he can tell him is they got cat. GL tells his teammates to take care of Kilowog, and he rockets away without a word. The leaguers take Kilowog back to the watchtower, and thanks to Martians and Bolovoxians having similar physiology, John is able to save him. Hey, you little cruiser. You'll be all right now. Great. Can we keep him? It's called the Legion of the Third Eye. A fanatical cult from the planet Kalinor. They invaded Randstad 7, so we were called in. Our orders were simple. Bring in their boss, Despero. Short-circuit his advance. Sounds like they sent you packing instead. We underestimated Despero's real power. The others never had a chance. I was lucky to get this far. I lost some good friends back then. And what about this Cat Matui? I'm not sure what happened to her. She was the Green Lantern who trained John. They must have been close. Very close. He was teacher's pet? Go GL. In space near Kalinor, GL finds the shattered remnants of the Lantern's G-Class cruiser, marked with the symbol of the Cult of the Third Eye. He then picks up the signal he's been following and trails it to the planet's surface. There he witnesses the Kalinorian man being pursued by two of Despero's soldiers. They find three books in his satchel and remind him Despero has forbidden the people to read. The man frantically swears allegiance to Despero as the soldiers prepare to kill him, but GL steps in and knocks them out with his ring. Unfortunately, he's made quite a display in front of the frightened natives. Back on the watchtower, the League is unable to reach GL via his comlink, so they ask Kilowog to show them the way to Kalinar. But with his power ring drained, he'll need his battery to recharge it. Flash smartly suggests they find John's and use it, but no one knows where he keeps it hidden. Speaking of hidden, on Kalinar, GL takes a more subtle approach and disguises himself with a fashionable hooded cloak. He follows the ring to Katmatui's signal, passing a large palace emblazoned with the League of the Third Eye symbol. Finding the signal's source in a modest dwelling, he approaches, but is stopped by a man named Radoko, who claims to be Katmatui's friend. Radoko begins to unsheath his sword, but GL tells him he's an official business from Despero. Rodoko apologizes and runs off, and talking to himself, GL thanks Katma for teaching him the arts of stealth and guile. He enters her quarters and quickly finds it empty, but does find her ring, hidden in her bed. He places it on his left hand and wonders where his old friend could be. Distracted, he is shocked into unconsciousness by two Kalinorian soldiers. Back on Earth, Flash and Kilowog head to John Stewart's apartment, hoping to find his power battery. Instead, they find that GL is a bit of a neat freak and has some chinks in his armored personality, such as Bob and Terry's ice cream and a VHS copy of Old Yeller. Kilowog finds both equally delicious. <laughs> well, what do you know? GL's a neat neck. So, where do we start? Most lanterns stash their batteries in a hidden pocket dimension. This should just take a second. Cool. Let me know when you find it. I don't think he keeps it in there. I'm not looking for a lamp. You're not the only one who needs a recharge, oh pal of mine. Aha! I knew it! Johnny does have a chink in his armor. Bob and Terry's? Mm. Delicious. Right. Stick with me, big guy. I'll open up a whole new world for you. Hey, check this out. People's Exhibit B, Old Yeller. 
Delicious. What else can we find? <gasps> Good lord. What is it? What are you doing in my building? And why are you wearing Mr. Stewart's clothes? Uh, ma'am, we can explain. Yo! Ouch! Lady, please! The two heroes are shocked by a surprise attack from... John's landlady? She thinks Kilowog has stolen her tenant's clothes and begins beating Flash with a broom while rattling on about aliens sucking out her brains. With his ring, Kilowog finds the power battery stashed in a pocket dimension and the two barely escape their persistent adversary. Nice meeting you, man. If we ever need a replacement for Hawk Girl. And don't call Buck! On Kalinor, GL is brought to the palace to stand before Despero and his legion of followers. The despot tells him that the lanterns and the guardians will be unable to stop him from bringing a new order to the universe. Another green lantern? This is getting monotonous. But I'm sure it's not your fault. You were, after all, just following your master's orders. Despero, I presume. With a backup group, no less. The Guardians would be wise to step aside. A new order to the universe is coming. One that will be written in fire and with the blood of all who oppose me. You would be wise to join me. I don't know what you're selling, but I'm not buying. What you want is irrelevant. The only will that matters is mine. The one true voice of the flame of Pytar. Such was bestowed upon me in the time of before. He tells GL of how he was chosen for greatness by the legendary flame of Pytar. How he was driven into the desert due to his mutant third eye. And how the flame erupted from the ground when he was set upon by a group of thieves. It destroyed them and spoke to Despero, giving his third eye the power to lead his people into an age of paradise. One that he must spread beyond Kalinar. GL has heard this story before, but Despero offers proof by unveiling the flame of Pytar behind a pair of enormous doors. You doubt my word? Behold, the flame of Pytar! You built a bonfire. Am I supposed to be impressed? You are not the first skeptic. You will not be the last. Still not impressed, GL breaks free from his captors and blasts at Despero with his ring. But Despero blasts back with the energy from his third eye. He manages to overpower John's will and his ring, and then blast him off the altar. Despero orders a priestess to throw GL's body into the flame, and GL looks up to see that it is none other than Katmatui, dressed in a slave Leia cosplay, or maybe Deja Thoris. She lifts his body over her head and tosses him into the flame. GL reappears in a matter transporter operated by Rodoko and a man named Shiflet. They welcome him to the Kalinorian resistance. He is then welcomed by Kat Matui with a punch to the face. She chastises him for nearly blowing her cover. Kat. What are you doing here? Nice to see you too. I thought you were in trouble. And since when have you known me to ever need help? I was obviously mistaken. When their direct approach didn't work, the Resistance took her in and helped her infiltrate Despero's regime. DL apologizes, then offers to help her directly, but she tells him he must stay back and coordinate with the Resistance. Duty calls, but she does pause to share a rather passionate kiss, after asking him if he still snores. 
So, uh, do you still snore? I wouldn't know. Well, I'd like to stay and relive old times, but it's the same drill as before. Duty calls. Duty calls. He gets all the ladies. <laughs> Later at a ceremony and in his palace, Despero calls upon the flame of Pytar and bestows its power onto his army. The flame engulfs the soldiers and they begin to ascend skyward, Despero ordering them to spread his word and his will across the cosmos. Go! The conquest begins now! Emblazon my word and will across the cosmos! Be continued, of course. So, right off the bat, it's pretty shocking to see two Green Lanterns die before the credits. I know. I mean, and those are long-time Green Lanterns that yeah. people recognize from the comics. So, it was kind of... <gasps> and they were in the, the previous episode of Blackest Night, like several of these characters were. And Renee Aubergenois, who, of course, played Odo mm -hmm. and many other things, but played Odo on Deep Space Nine, played Gallius there. And we have Dennis Haysbert who's on, been on 24 and a lot of things, but most people know him as the Allstate guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's portraying Kilowog again. Arcus has a line of dialogue, but I couldn't find any voice credits for him, so I don't know who voiced him. I always thought, it, as a kid, I was like, oh, he's the werewolf Green Lantern. That's, he's, oh, yeah. He's, he's kind of werewolfy looking. But Now, most of these characters were seen but not heard in the Superman animated series episode in Brightest Day, which we also covered when mm -hmm. we covered in Blackest Night, including Cat Matui, I believe she was the first female Green Lantern shown in the comics, debuting in Green Lantern number 30, July 1964. She replaced Sinestro as the Green Lantern of their home planet, Korrigar. She was one of the most prominent Green Lanterns often seen whenever the Corps appeared, and more on her comic book career as we go along. Mm -hmm. She's voiced by Kim May Guest, who has a ton of voiceover credits and animation and video games, including voicing several characters on future episodes of this show, like Linda Park in one of our favorite JLU episodes, Flash and Substance, which mm -hmm. we just watched not too long ago, mm -hmm. and playing Katana on Batman the Brave and the Bold. There you go. Yeah. So, of course, yeah, I think it's cute. Kilowog reacts to Flash right away with, hey, you little poozer. You yeah. Know, that's a classic Kilowog, so, yeah. And uh, Flash is, you know, can we keep him? <laughs> I mean, them two, like two little puppies run around together <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of funny because flash and green lantern kind of developed that uh big brother little brother mm -hmm. thing but kilowog's more like the you know he's like he's like the big brother's friend that the little brother gets along with yeah you know it's like the little the the the, the brother's friend thinks the little brother's okay but the big brother's like oh he's annoying you know yeah. <laughs> uh so, Hawk Girl's jealousy bone is sticking out as soon as Kilowog mentions Katma trained John and that they were very close. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Of course, in the comic books, John and Katma were married. Right. So, at one point, you know, they ended up getting married and then Star Sapphire killed her, which was just in a kitchen. It's like, what is with Green Lantern love interest getting killed in a kitchen? Mm hmm. I mean, that's just awful. I'm sorry, but it's like, and they took a character like Katma Tui and just. That was, that was just all sorts of wrong. But, mm, anyway. Uh, so, these Green Lanterns use starships, something Bruce Timm will run with later on on the Green Lantern animated series. Uh -huh. Which we all know our beloved pal Zoom was a humongous fan of. Yeah, so, it was really good. Yeah, it was good. I need to watch that again. Given the current state of the country, it's ironic to hear 
GL say, Can't we all just get along? Which right. is a quote from Rodney King, the man who was brutalized by police on camera 30 years ago, which began a previous series of protests and riots. Mm-hmm. I thought that was uh, kind of interesting when that came up. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So now, Kalinor has a Middle East Eastern vibe to it as well. So this episode is actually pretty political, given at the time of production, U.S. troops were invading Iraq and Afghanistan and trying to extract leaders like Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden. I know, it's very timely. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, yeah. So, what did you think about Flash being the one that that actually remembered John had a power battery somewhere? It's one of those things, you know, and they'll allude to this later, but Flash is the heart of the team. He remembers those little tidbits. Right. You know, that's... He's probably he's more personally connected to everybody than anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's the he literally is the glue. Yeah, he takes the time to pull everybody together. I mean, like because you know, Batman and Wonder Woman kind of have a bond. Mm-hmm. Superman and Batman have a bond. Wonder Woman and John have a bond. Mm-hmm. John and Hot Girl obviously have a bond. A Flash, Flash and Hot Girl have a bond, and then Flash and GL have a bond. But they, but Flash is the one that kind of. Like, he has a bond with everybody mm-hmm. to a point, yeah. He's the center of the wheel. Right, exactly. So, one thing I do wonder, though, is, you know, Rodoko comes up to him and says he's friend of Kat Matui, so why mm-hmm. doesn't he just say, I'm her friend, too, you know? Yeah, well, but, you know, he's infiltrating, doesn't believe it on first, you know. Well, that's true. You gotta think. Yeah, he's being he's using her uh, stealth and guile uh, right. methods, yeah. Rodoko is voiced by Carlos Ferro, who is mostly known... For his work on video games like Gears of War, but also appeared on screen as Ensign Dern in uh, Star Trek Next Generation Season 7 episode Genesis. Oh. Genesis is forbidden! Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong 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 Star Trek. Wrong Wrong, one. Wrong Star Mm -hmm. Trek. (laughs) Mm. Uh, So did Katma hide her ring under a pillow? I mean, we see Green Lantern lift the pillows off her bed and then the ring pops up. Doesn't seem very hidden. No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, you know, I don't know. So then, speaking of places and, you know, uh, quarters, uh, the Benton Green Lantern's apartment is is really great. And we've seen his apartment before. We talked about that. He had marine posters everywhere Mm -hmm. and stuff. But his his tidiness makes sense because of his marine background. Background, yeah. Everything's ship-shaped, you know. Yeah. Uh, So, uh wonder if we could send Andrew to the Marines just for the basic training part. <laughs> Whew, scary room. Yeah. So what did you think about Kilowog eating the tub of ice cream? <laughs> he's like, yum. Yeah, carton and all. I mean, he's like, like delicious. And the VHS tape of Old Yellow. Oh, he doesn't have, you know. <laughs> uh, it's the gag that the end of the, the two-parters makes this all the more funnier, you know. But, uh, yeah. So, Kim May Guest also voices the landlady, mm-hmm. and she's just this side of a bit of an uncomfortable Asian stereotype, just a little bit, but because she's voiced by an actress with Asian heritage, it doesn't come across quite as bad, but it's it's a little, I don't know, her, her accent's a little, it's 2000s, early 2000s, not bad, but... 2020, now, they need 2020 redo, there, yeah. there's L's and R's getting transposed and, yeah. you know, <laughs> so, um, I do like the fact though, that they show, she knows John is a Green Lantern because mm-hmm. she says, why are you wearing Mr. Stewart's clothes? And I'm not going to say it like she did because then it, it really will come across yeah. offensive if I do it. Uh, and, and that, you know, he's talked to her about 
his cases. Yeah. Because she's warned her about aliens that are going to suck out her brain. And, and you know, you get almost the idea that they kind of have a... Well, and she's taking care of him. How, you know, how dare you come into, you know, my symbolic kid's room and mess it up. Right. You know? There's a familial relationship mm-hmm. there. Yeah, and she's, you know, you're ste- you're breaking into his room and you're stealing his clothes and and she's beating Flash with a broom, which is just hilarious. But you wondered, why, yeah. did, did, why didn't he just disarm her yeah. at super speed? <laughs> yeah, but it, it was funnier with, you know, her whacking him, but, you know, still. Yeah, and what else did you notice? If Killerog's ring is supposed to be dead... How's he use it to find the battery? Maybe it's only mostly dead. (laughs) Maybe, maybe he couldn't, you know, maybe he had enough juice to do something like that. Or maybe the ring's got some kind of backup thing to detect the power source or something, you know? Who knows? Yeah. I love it when, when they're leaving and Flash says, if we ever need a replacement for Hot Girl, that's gold. Yeah. Uh, and then we finally meet Despero, and Andrea Romano got a ringer to voice him in Keith David, who is probably best known for his roles in both John Carpenter's They Live and The Thing, but Disney fans know him as the voice of one of their greatest villains, Dr. Facilier, in The Princess and the Frog. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, man, Disney has got a lot of mileage out of that character, especially around Halloween. Yeah, They love to use him at the parks around Halloween. We saw creepy. him. We saw him at... Uh, of and course, he's what, one of the main villains at that club. We've never been, but you know. Yeah. And he's also, when they when they did the, um, um, the Hocus Pocus show, mm-hmm. Dr. Facilia, of course it wasn't Keith David. Right, but, obviously. But, 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 uh, but he came out. So yeah, so yeah, he's... he's uh, He's got such an awesome voice, and he also voiced the center in, you know, the island in uh, in uh, Justice League, the New Frontier, mm-hmm. and Solovar on several episodes of the CW's Flash series. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think, I'm pretty sure he did the voiceover on most of the Justice League advertisements on Cartoon Network back in the day, during the early days, you know, on the next Justice League, you know. I'm pretty sure that was him, so... So he was already involved here. If I'm if I'm right, I did, I should have went and looked those up, but I I forgot. I'll be honest, but I'm pretty sure that's him. So, in addition to his third eye, Despero has marks on his face that that look like they could be scales, or maybe even like acne scars or something. Did you notice that? Um, you know, like he to show that I guess he'd been through it, that he was you know not smooth skinned or you know yeah know. almost to make him a little more outcasty even before mm-hmm. you know beside the third eye I mean when they first showed him he was thin and gawky looking and when they when they you know ran him out of town yeah so yeah but when he comes back he's you know when he comes back he's tall and buff and he has a goatee so Flame of Pytar does a great makeover apparently. that's what I call a glow up yeah he glowed. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't stand it. I love how flippin' GL is with him, and you brought your backup band, and so you <laughs> built a bonfire. I mean, he <laughs> I just, is just, you know. Yeah, he's just, whew. he's just trying to, and, you know, I think he was expecting to just blast this guy and get it over with quickly. Right. You know, which, it didn't quite work out that way. No. No, unfortunately. But yeah, I loved his, you know, he, you know, Green Lantern doesn't, he doesn't, uh, even if he is, uh, in awe, he don't let it show. Mm-mm. You know, he's not gonna. He don't let him see you sweat. So, 
Uh, we see several species here on Kalinor, including Despero's race and some folks with horns and some plant-like people. So right. do you think they're all natives? I don't, I was wondering that too, because why didn't, you know, John's appearance stand out to him? You know, it must be that it, if they're not natives there, then that is a planet that sees a lot of traffic. Yeah. So, something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what did you think of, uh, Katma's slave layout outfit? Again, slave layout is <laughs> cut down to there and up to here. I so. mean, it's basically just a band that goes around her back and then catches on both boobs. Yeah, and nothing in the middle. Mm -hmm. And with her, with her, uh, her skin's not quite as comic magenta, uh, but with her pink skin, she does look a lot like Deja Thoris from um, John Carter. You know, mm, so okay. yeah, so you know. Although most of the time she's really supposed to be like topless, but you know, so but, <laughs> but uh, not in the movie, of course. But uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting the way they did because you know there's a lot of pink skinned aliens at DC if you think about it because there's Abin Sur mm -hmm. and there's Katma and Sinestro, but they're Korg. Yeah, they're yeah, they're from the same planet. And then there's Despero, mm -hmm. you know, so they made Katma more of a, she's more of a, like a, a pinkish Caucasian like color. Like a dusty rose. Yeah. She's more, she's less pink, pink. Uh, and when they showed Avin Sur on Superman, he was pink mm -hmm. and Despero's more like a light purple. Mm -hmm. He's not pink here. So I, I just, I just think it's kind of interesting, but it, it's a smart thing to do. That way it doesn't look, you know, the same. Because I mean, you're dumping these different characters in the same story, so I like the old rickety matter transporter. It really does seem like it's cobbled together, and you can imagine they probably failed to save a few people. I keep thinking of that awful transporter scene in the first Star Trek movie. Yeah, Ugh, yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> scary. Yeah, that a uh, lot of a lot of people were scarred by that. Uh, Shiftless is voiced by Pepe Serna, who has. An exhaustive IMDb listing, including The Jerk, Scarface, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, Silverado, and Inside Moves, which Rob and I discussed with our friend, director Dick Donner. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> hey, if I get to say it again, I'm going to, right? So. <laughs> there you go. When Cat walks up to John. Dang, she's boom, chicka chicka wah, chicka chow. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, I'm surprised <laughs> they didn't find out there was an underground resistance just from the ground shaking from her. I'm just, <laughs> She is swaying those hips. I mean, mm -hmm. those guys, like, you know, they took some extra time. It's kind of, I know Bruce Tim said, like, the first appearance of Poison Ivy on yeah. animated series, they really tried to get her walk when she walks in the restaurants when she's dating Harvey Dent. Oh, yeah. Remember? And they really tried to get that, you know, that, that sway, that, that seductive sway right. And they do that here, too. They're, yeah, they're definitely, that's what they're after. And then she belts him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what you think about that? Well, you know. <laughs> He was screwing up her mission. Yeah. <laughs> and then she asks him, Do you still snore? <laughs> he says, I wouldn't know. <laughs> wow. And then that kiss, you know, ooh. Oh. Yeah. I mean that if you were wondering did they how close of a relationship you had they had before, that kiss answers well, I, the question. I think the snore line took care of it. Uh, I mean this is on a kid's cartoon too, you know, yeah. it's like well, that doesn't leave much to the imagination, does it? <laughs> I mean, I guess you could say they're in the same barracks, but mm, I don't think so. <laughs> and I did like her line, you know, he wanted to go, you know, go with her. And she mm -hmm. says, I don't think you look too good in a metal bikini. <laughs> yeah. Not so much. 
Uh, so at Despero's rally, we see soldiers giving the Zig Heil salute. So we're mixing a lot of despots onto here, but Keith David's got that smooth but forceful voice. It really sells the character's charisma. Even without the third eye and the superpower of the flame, you can see this guy like turning a crowd over, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really well done. So we got an army of superpowered fanatics set loose on the galaxy, and the rest of the league hasn't even showed up yet. So, uh, I mean, this, you know, right now don't look too good. So we no. better jump into part two, I guess. Mm-hmm. Despero's created one of the most formidable forces I've ever seen. He's out to control the galaxy, and I think he can do it. The galaxy is a big place, Cap. Despero doesn't have the manpower. He'd spread his forces way too thin. Not if he pulls in new recruits from each world he conquers. Cat must right. Despero can subjugate a people using only his mind. His army will grow with each world he conquers. All right, then, enough talk. Let's mobilize the core. I doubt these amateurs can hold their own against a few thousand Green Lanterns. Despero's got some kind of dampening field around this planet. Communications with Oa are impossible. Then sit tight. I'll be back with the cavalry. In the underground headquarters of the Resistance, Katma informs them of Despero's plans to spread his influence across the galaxy. GL scoffs at his chances, but Shiflet reminds him he can use his powers to subjugate entire planets. GL recommends they call in the entire Green Lantern Corps, but as Katma is informing him that the planet is surrounded by a communications dampening field, they are attacked by Despero's army. Katma powers up her ring and changes into her lantern uniform, while John finds that his ring doesn't work at all. Outnumbered, they are forced to retreat. The rebels blast their way to the surface, only to find themselves surrounded by Despero's troops and tanks. Thankfully, the cavalry arrives in the form of Hot Girl, Flash, Jean, and Kilowog, who turn the tide, allowing for a happy reunion and a quick escape to the Resistance's secondary site. GL, did you miss me? Like a toothache. John, Katma, are you guys okay? Ah, you must be the mystery woman. And you must be? Delighted to meet you. There, Jean examines some ancient hieroglyphs etched into the walls. No Kalinorian can read them, but Jean believes they may point to a once flourishing ecosystem, particularly a repeated image of a large tree. Shiflet recalls legends of Kalinor once being a paradise, but only recognized the symbol for the flame of Pytar. Radoko scoffs at the hieroglyphs, feeling their cause is lost. Another lost cause is GL's power ring, which he can't make work no matter how hard he concentrates. Katma theorizes Despero managed to break his will just enough to steal that piece of him that controls the ring. She offers him a back-to-basics training regimen, which he initially declines. When she mentions it's the only way to get past his emerald impotence, he reluctantly agrees. <laughs> then we start over. I trained you once, I can do it again. Back to basics? I don't think so. The problem with half the core, you included, is that once you learn to use your rings like jackhammers, you forget the subtleties of manipulation and control. I know, I know. The mind is the weapon, not the metal. At least you remember that much. It's time to relearn what you've learned. Now you sound like Yoda. Look, you have two choices. Let me help you retune your mental disciplines, or you can live with your emerald impotence. Impotence? Uh, right, I, I was just going over there. 
Okay, you win. Guess it really will be like old times. Don't presume too much, John Stewart. The leader of Despero's ground troops is brought before the despot. He begs forgiveness and asks him how to atone for his failure. Despero tells him to head out into the desert with no provisions and wait for a sign from him. When his chancellor asks why Despero is so concerned with the resistance, he reminds him of the power of the voice of dissent. He orders him to redouble their efforts to find and break the rebellion. Back at the rebel base, Katma tries to retrain a frustrated Gia with little success. When he wants to walk away, she compares him to that Rainer kid you sent me to train. He walks off and shares his frustration with Hot Girl. She points out that while he isn't a raw recruit, Katma may still see him that way as we often relate to people for how they were versus how they have changed. Her words of advice are just as harsh as Katma's. Get back in there and try again. She even gives him a smack on the bottom for good measure. <laughs> Jean believes Despero is drawing power from the flame of Pytar and channeling it through his third eye into his troops. If they snuff out the flame, they will lose their power. Katma notes that the flame is composed of pure nuclear plasma, but Kilowog believes he can build a carbon bomb that will snuff out the flame. Rodoko hears all this and walks away. In space, Despero's flying troops decimate another planet's defenses and bathe the world in the flame, putting them all under Despero's control. The zealot is kneeling before the flame when Rodoko is brought before him. He offers the location of the resistance base in exchange for being on the winning side. Despero laughs and assures him he will be. GL gears up with the rest of the resistance as Katma shares with Hawk Girl that he's finished as a Green Lantern. She believes that he has given up on himself and Hawk Girl points out that he's not the only one. I'm afraid he's finished. When this mission's over, we'll have to recall Rainer to take over John's sector. Just like that. He's given up on himself. He's not the only one, but I guess that's what happens when a toy loses its luster. Are you going to need all those power cells? If that's what it takes, I can still pull my weight, you know. There's more to me than just a fancy ring. I've always known that, John. Which elicits a tiny smile. Shiflet shares a secret entrance into the throne room via an exhaust shaft, while Kilowog assembles the carbon bomb. Their plans are changed when Despero's forces, this time surrounded by the power of the Flame of Pytar, attack. Even Hot Girl's mace proves surprisingly ineffective. Oh, no. <laughs> Katma uses her ring to block off Jean, Flash, and Kilowog, allowing them to escape with the bomb and enact their plan. Flash reluctantly leaves his friends behind and the three head off. GL, Hot Girl, and Katma are captured and chained in a stasis field while Despero gloats, throwing their power rings on a table far out of their reach. He tells them he will have them for his army as they will be unable to resist them. He then blasts Katma with his third eye and eventually brings her under his will. He then turns his attention to Hot Girl, but his designs on her are quite different. Infatuated by her exotic wings, he plans to make her his personal attendant over GL's protest. Despero begins to blast her with his third eye as Hot Girl screams in agony. Now, who's next? Keep away from her! The wings give her an exotic quality, wouldn't you agree? I don't think I'll put her in the army. I have just the place for her. As one of my personal attendants. Don't even think about it.
The L struggles and strains, trying to call to his ring. It barely moves at first, but as Despero's attack and Hot Girl's scream intensify, it begins to shake and then finally fly off the table onto John's finger. He blasts Despero across the chamber with his power ring and takes out the stasis field. He then calls for them to begin round two. Meanwhile, Jean, Flash, and Kilowog enter the throne room, blasting past Despero's troops. Kilowog arms the bomb and prepares to throw it into the flame when Jean calls for them to stop. GL and Despero continue the battle elsewhere in the palace, their power equally matched. Despero presses his advantage by endangering the unconscious hot girl and Katma. When GL comes to their rescue, he blasts him from behind. But GL is determined to win this time and punches Despero right in his third eye, leaving the lantern symbol embossed in his swollen purple skin. Makes up for that ship earlier. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, Jean tells Flash and Kilowog that, that the Pytar is alive and is reaching out to him. He leaps into the flame as the troops blast through the doors and begin firing on the heroes. What are we waiting for? The Pytar. It's a sentient being. A what? It's alive, in pain. It wants to make contact. John's body rises from the pit, engulfed in blue flame and now possessing a third eye. He tells the people that he is Pytar, the living soul of the planet, and that Despero has deceived them and misused his power. Kalinor can be a paradise again if they turn away from Despero's ways of hatred and war. The people drop their weapons, and John's body drops to the floor. The flame then swirls about the room, becoming a giant tree, expanding ever outward. In space, Despero's flying troops are also taken over by the change and become trees themselves, harmlessly floating in orbit. Despero loses the power of the flame, and then the tree grows beneath him, engulfing him in its wooden trindles. In bliss, he allows the tree to overcome him and gives him the paradise he sought. The tree pulls him deep into the ground as the main trunk erupts from the palace, its roots spreading across the desert, changing Kalinor back into a floral environment. Later, Shiflet claims it's a miracle, but Jean reminds him it's their planet's soul reclaiming what it lost when imprisoned. Katma offers GL the chance to stay and help the Corps rebuild, but he responds with words she only knows too well. Duty calls. The leaguers fly off, but not before Flash invites Kilowog over for Bratwurst. Hot Girl comments on how Katma is quite a lady, and GL agrees, but she couldn't teach him everything. It's a miracle. It's just the normal life force of your planet reasserting itself after centuries of entrapment. And you won't have to worry about Despero anymore. Where is old Three Eyes? He finally saw the light. Well, okay then. We've saved the day. Can we go home now? There's still a lot that needs to be done to rebuild Kalinor. We could use your help. Sorry, Cat. Duty calls. Goodbye, Shiflet. Good luck to you all. Hey, Kilowog, Bratwurst, my place next week. You're on, Poozer. What's up, Bratwurst? <laughs> that Katma's quite a woman. Yeah, a good teacher, too. But some things can't be taught. Some things you only get through experience. Like? Clarity. Okay, 
So, Rodoko blames Cat for leading the army there. Hmm, that's your first sign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, poor GL John Stewart has performance issues in front of his ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. That's embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> his emerald impotence. Yeah. I was like, oh. Yeah, I know. It's like, whoa. Uh, I do like how he quickly grabs a gun, though. Because yeah, exactly. John's a soldier. Yeah, he's a Marine, after all. So, yeah. Uh, you know, and of course, when Flash shows up, he's a he's quick to hit on Katma. If, you know, think about it if he'd seen her in the bikini. Oh, I know. Yeah, I, yeah, he might have been out for the rest of the episode. So, mm-hmm. uh, so we learned about the tree from the hieroglyphs. Remember that, kids? It'll be on the test later. Mm-hmm. So, but they do set it up, of course. So, Katma is critical of a lot of Green Lanterns who forget the subtle nuance of controlling the ring once they get the hang of it. They really paint her as like the consummate Green Lantern in a lot of ways. And that opening scene last episode with the death of two of the other Green Lanterns Mm -hmm. against her orders, that really does paint her that way. Right. And I mean, she's in charge of it. And I mean, you know, she's telling them what to do. And because they didn't listen to her, it cost them their life. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like we said, emerald impotence. Uh, So I wonder how many kids walked up to their parents and asked, what does impotence mean? Right. Yeah. And, of course, Flash walks right up as she says that. <laughs> I mean, you know, thanks for embarrassing me in front of my buddy. Yeah. And Hot Girl is watching from the wings, no pun intended. I know. So it's all very awkward. So, yeah. Uh, the scene with Despero punishing his captain is a great snapshot of that character. He has total control of that guy. The man is actually happy to go out in the desert. I, I'm just... Pure and utter, follow him to the end. Yeah, you know? and Despero has no plan to send him a vision to, to, no. to you know, come back. It's Yeah, it's actually pretty chilling, yeah. So, for nerds, this is huge. We get the name drop of Kyle Rayner. Mm-hmm. Let's take it from the top. This is useless. Where do you think you're going? I need some air. I didn't say you could go. Excuse me? You're as bad as that Rayner kid you sent me to train. What's your problem? A throng of DCAU fanboys rejoice at this. We can now infer that John was a Green Lantern when mm-hmm. Abin Sur gave Kyle his ring in the Superman episode. Then after the Superman episode, John showed up and sent him to Katma to train. So maybe, you know, John was off duty somewhere. Right. Because, we, like we said, the, the other heroes knew who John was. Mm-hmm. They were aware that he was Green Lantern. Right. Now, I don't know... If, they in that episode, Superman didn't act like he'd ever met the Green Lanterns before. But mm-hmm. some at some point, some of them had met John or heard of him. Right, at least heard of him anyway. Yeah. So, but so yeah. So you can make it all work now. And spoiler warning: We'll like we said, we'll see Kyle Rayner later. Yes. And he'll be voiced by Will Friedle then. Mm-hmm. So, who is no stranger to voicing DC young DCU characters. So, so what did you think about Hot Girl's pep talk and the swat on the butt? Here's the thing. Kat Matui might have been, you know, a lover of John's, but Hot Girl is who believes in him and right. who's, you know, hey, I've got faith in the who you are now. Right. Exactly. So. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, and you get you get the kind of the idea that I'm not saying that Katma like like she like every like every recruit that comes through, she has a relationship with him. I'm not saying that no, at all. I no. don't think she does that at all. But that was something that was part of that, you know, when they were together, when they were training, mm-hmm. and then they went off and did their thing, and it's 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 part of their past. I mean, they still have feelings for one another, obviously, but yeah. So, yeah, I, I, th- I thought that was really, uh, you know, a nice moment there. 
I like that Kilowog is treated as the mechanical genius he was created as in the comics, and he's not just a big brawny drill sergeant right. that he became later. He's you know that was that wasn't really his thing. It was more the that you know that that was what was cool about him. He was this big, you know, honestly kind of brutish looking, monsterish yeah. looking character that was like super intelligent and just a big sweetheart yeah. too. You know, so so the flame just takes over that whole planet of cat people. So are they weak willed? How come he wasn't able to control Katma, John, and the others like that? He had the right color string. <laughs> <laughs> I just that this stuff was interesting. I mean, it just like you know it. It shows the them attack and the flame. You know, takes over the the, the whole and then and everybody's just like, oh, you know, maybe it was their laser pointers. Yeah, it's like you, you know, know one big so laser pointer. So yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. So, of course, we're not surprised that Rodoko oh, is a traitor. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, that that was telegraphed, like, way back. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. So, when they attack, you know, Hot Girl against the blue, against the flame of Pytar, mm -hmm. eh, Magic Mace ain't so magic here. I know, and it, it's kind of nice, like, okay, there is some pushback from something. <laughs> yeah, well, they've definitely toned it down. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, we retired the feature, you know, but yeah, definitely. It's kind of surprising that Katma is taken over, given how tough she seemed before. But she was unconscious. Yeah, when true. when when he started on her. So, uh, and then of course there's some really creepy connotations for Despero's plans for Hot Girl. Oh yeah, he wants you know. I like, mean, they show her like he lifts her wing up. Uh -huh. There's something about that that's like, like she's unconscious and he's like pulling her wing out. It's like. Yeah. There's something like extra skeevy about that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, of course, that makes GL fighting mad. Oh, yeah. And it's a bit telling that despite his feelings for her, he didn't get that mad enough to get his mojo back until Hawkgirl is in danger, not Katma. Right. So, yeah. And when that ring flies to him, that's one of those fist-pumping moments. And Phil Lamar knew it, of course. And I wonder if his... Yeah, was ad libbed or yeah, you know, or he did it. It was like me watching Endgame when Cap got the meal near. When yeah. you jumped out of the seat, <laughs> your seat at the, the in the theater. Yeah, and did the fist pump. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was pretty much like that. Yeah. <laughs> the animation in this episode is really well done. It is, it and those close ups on his face when he was like really stressing and it was cutting back and forth to the ring shaking mm -hmm. and it was really well edited and timed and. And directed, really. Butch Lukic did a, a great job directing this. And Keith Damron uh, wrote a good episode of, uh, as well, of course. But um, but now things get weird here at the end. Did you, did you think things get a little weird? I just thought looked at it as the end of a Star Trek episode. It is a little Star Trek-y, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, as far as, you know, Spock goes and mind melds and, oh, this is what they really mean. And, you know, here's we're going to leave them to, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah like Jean very... is uh, Spock. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Good, good. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but it's got to be one of the most esoteric endings of any Justice League episode because, I mean, you know, John discovers the flame is a John discovers the flame is alive. He emerges all flamey with a third eye. You know, what was the why the third eye was was Despero? You think Despero was supposed to be the good prophet of the? Of the See, flame? that's what I got because that's the reason it made him buff. That's the reason, you know, that's, and it felt, that's the reason it felt the Pytar, the fire, the fire of Pytar felt like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I trusted him, you know? Right. I kind of, 
Because, you know, when he tells the story, you're just hearing his perspective. Mm -hmm. So you don't really know exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. Something like that happened. But it makes you think because Jean emerges with the third eye Mm -hmm. and he was born with the third eye. It's like he was born to be the, it's almost like, I mean, I hate to make religious, you know, it's almost like a a Jesus figure that went bad. Right. You know, that that didn't do what he was supposed to with Mm -hmm. the, the, you know. And that's, that's, and I mean, you know, I'm mixing in what I know. I'm sure there's other religious, you know, figures that you could say, but for me, that's what it, it jumps mm-hmm. out as, you know? Um, so it's like the, the, the Christ-like figure that, that doesn't do what they're supposed to. Right. You know, uh, so, and, and so had he trapped it for thousands of years, Despero himself, that's one thing. There's a line of dialogue at the end where Jean says, the planet's life force is reasserting itself after being prisoned for thousands of years. So was it Despero that, I don't Trapped think, it? I don't think so because I get the feeling that you know probably whatever conflict happened to trap the flame of Pytar happened thousands of years ago with the idea that it was foretold oh. there would be someone to come and release it and the flame bought into that too where it might have just been a genetic defect defect but he was looking for mm. that you know okay well that makes sense yeah. But uh, people, and you got to think it's nuke that you know it's nuclear. Nuclear. I have a hard time saying that word. Not as bad as flat as a shag, but yeah, nuclear <laughs> energy. You know, and that's what the flame of Pytar is made out of. Mm. Third eye mutant. You know. Yeah. Well, well, true too. So you it know, could, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but people turn into trees, and there are trees floating in space. I didn't like that because here's the thing, Despero took those people over, took their minds over, and those people died. And, I mean, they were soldiers. Yes, they had bought into it, but I think they could have been unbrain-wiped. Well, they show other soldiers standing there with them later, but the ones out in space... Yeah, I mean, I don't think... I think that, you know, I just felt so bad for him. I'm like, oh... When they show him, like, like one guy's, like, like a close-up of him as he turns into a tree, you know? He's all, like, trying to pull it off of him as it covers him. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like... I felt bad for him. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not saying it didn't work. It's just not the, the end that you expected, Again, I've, I've looked at it as like a Star Trek episode. Yeah. It's it's a classic it, Star Trek ending. It's, it definitely has a more of a lyrical kind of, um, mm-hmm. like a, you know, like I said, esoteric kind of ending than most of these. But at least the... La- Star Trek ending. Yeah, Star Trek ending. So at least the Lanterns are going to stay and help rebuild. So, mm-hmm. you know, I hope Green Lantern called them to help in on War World too. Because, I mean, they left that planet in Draga's hands. Like, yeah. Oh, man. Let's not bring that up again. Uh, so Flash invites Kilowog for bratwurst, but he has to ask Katma what they are. So. <laughs> but you can actually eat those Kilowogs. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I like the last exchange between uh, GL and Hot Girl. It's nice. So Katma can't train him in everything like clarity, and that clarity is clearly in how he feels for Hot Girl. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a neat way to do it. And I bet you Hot Girl's got some other moves. Mm. <laughs> I'm uh, bad. Sorry. Power action feature. So, for a power action fe- feature, can it be anything but the Kapow moment when John gets his ring back? I don't know. You could also argue that when John Jones comes out of the flame. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, 
that's kind of equal. Rotating chairperson. Because, well, for rotating chairperson, mm-hmm. I you know said it's kind of no-brainer that it's, that it's GL, but, I mean, everyone has their moments here, especially Jean. Uh-huh. So, you know, Flash has a few, too, but it could be Jean, too. But I, I think we have to give this one to GL for the rotating chairperson. Justice League communicator. Uh, Justice League communicator. I, there's so many great lines in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emerald impotence, that's Katma, but, you know, not a, not, I guess it could be the... Do you still snore? Do you still snore? Mm-hmm. Or if you want to go with the Justice Leaguer, it can be uh, when Flash says, you know, if we ever need a replacement for Hot Girl. Yeah. So that's a good one. <laughs> Comic. Connections. Uh, Comic Connections, uh, the creators here pull a lot from Despero's various incarnations and blend it well, especially the Flame of Pytar. I mm-hmm. mean, they make a meal out of that. So, uh, yeah, so they did, a, they did a nice job plumbing all the different versions. Electricity is evil. Electricity is evil. Uh, Green Lantern is zapped from behind by Despero's men with their electric staff cattle prod thingy. So, mm-hmm. you know, got, somebody's got to get shocked at some point. Oh, yeah, at least once, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I recalled, again, just like last time, I recalled not liking the ending of this one too much the first time I watched it all those years ago. I mostly remember the army turning into trees, which I think at the time I'm like, what? But, you know, it's a bit deeper than your standard Justice League episode, and I now think it works, even if the resolution is a bit odd, and like you've convinced me, it's a Star Trek it's a Star Trek ending. That's the reason the ending didn't bother me. Yeah. To me, I was just like, oh, it's Star Trek. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Uh, but I, I'm glad this episode came up on the show that we're doing when it did. Mm-hmm. Doing a Green Lantern-centric episode feels good right now uh, for, for two reasons, really. One, in between us watching these episodes and recording this show, we lost writer Denny O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Of course, Denny is probably best known for his Batman stories, returning him to his Creature of the Night status along with Neil Adams, which Ryan and I just began covering on Nightcast. But along with Adams, Denny co-created Jon Stewart. And that gave DC one of its first black heroes and certainly his first super-powered one. Mm-hmm. So we have to thank him for helping to break down that barrier at the much stuffier DC comics of the time. And actually, Ryan, Shag, and Rob and I did a Denny O'Neill tribute, which I've Pretty sure I'll have been out by the time this episode airs. Okay. And and I actually brought the first John Stewart story to the episode. Oh, okay. And we talk about that. And uh, to say that that story is uh, oddly relevant. timely and mm-hmm. relevant, I mean, you know, Denny O'Neill brought relevance to comics. And, I mean, there were other... Stan Lee was bringing some relevance to comics. I'm not going to take that away from him. But Denny brought a realistic relevance to comics. He mm-hmm. brought... A grit. Neil Adams said after he passed on 13th Dimension, Dan Greenfield uh, actually got, uh, he actually uh, sent Dan this to put on 13th Dimension, um, what, you know, his thoughts about Denny. And he said, you know, Denny had been a journalist. He oh, was a journalist. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So he, he brought a grit and a realism to comics. He still, and mixed it with the fantasy. I mean, he mm-hmm. didn't take the fantasy away, but he mixed in that realism. And that John Stewart first appearance story is eye-openingly very relevant today and i've heard other people say well you know the hard traveling hero stuff eh, it's a little maybe it's a little heavy-handed now and stuff it's not unfortunately it's not (laughs) so and and two i know for a fact that the creative team choosing john as green lantern and diversifying the team when they started this show that was a great thing Mm mm-hmm 
because our kids, particularly Andrew, grew up with black characters like John and Cyborg on Teen Titans as heroes, and that can mean a lot. Right. And and for black kids themselves, I'm sure it means even more to see someone who looked like them as an equal to Superman and Batman as it is and as it should be. So good on them. Yep. So we'll take a quick break. and we come back, we'll have some listener feedback. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spinoffs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort! And many, many more. Justice League International. Blah Ha Podcast coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? To tell you the story of Green Lantern is to tell you the story of the birth of a universe. The origins of DC as a whole. It's a magic emerald meteor from space in the 1940s. It's the establishment of the JSA. It's the birth of the Silver Age. It's the introduction of a universal police force. It's the formation of the JLA. It's the emergence of the multiverse. It's a crisis in both space and time. It's an emerald dawn. And it's an emerald twilight. It's the brightest day. And the blackest night. And the Lantern cast covers all of this and everything in between. We're Green Lantern's greatest advocates and fiercest critics. We've been fans for years, and it's the reason we're self-proclaimed Lanternologists. So find us on iTunes and Stitcher and give us a listen. Because the history of Green Lantern really is the history of the DC Universe. And we've got the interviews, commentaries, reviews, and more to back it up. Okay, we got some feedback on firewaterpodcast.com in the comments section, so let's read them. Gord Tolton writes in to say, Great show, Franklin family, as always. Thank you for saying so. Vandal Savage can be a great villain in that not everyone can see him in that way. He's the example of someone with a presence who can exude an air of dignity and charisma that is a true masker for what he's really up to. Though he's got more than a bit of facial hair than he could twirl, Vandal sneaks up on you while shaking your hand. Please don't let him run for politics again. My best to all of you, Ranger Gore Tolton. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Doug Vandiver says, In the news recently, there were reports that physicists discovered evidence of a reverse universe. That must be where Dolly Parton is in the Oval Office while Mr. Trump is a 25-time number one Billboard country music chart recording artist and prominent defender of women's rights. I've had my bags packed and just need to learn how we cross over. I don't think saying one's name backwards works. I tried it already. Oh, JL, you cast great show. I liked your discussion on the Justice on the Justice Bond mashup. <laughs> and if you go to the comments section, I ended up, I, we wrote back and forth a little bit. And oh, I, told, okay. I told Doug, I said, well... You know, Dolly was able to uh, make masks for everyone out of her bra collection, so we were prepared for the COVID-19 
uh, you know, she was prepared ahead of time. So. I'm, I, I know you all can't see me, but I'm just over here with my head in my hand, just shaking my head. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I love my husband. So, you know. Speaking of, I do have to share this just because it's just today's the day. But we are recording this on June 18th. And it's 29 years since I asked you to be my boyfriend. Yeah, after I'd asked you and you t- made me wait. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, so. I know, but it, I just want to put that We had to there. have a waiting period from when she broke up with her previous boyfriend who she was dating with when me and her first started like liking each other. Shh. <laughs> Don't tell everything. And in between, you, know. you set me up with a girl to keep me occupied. Well, I was putting you safely on the shelf. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> what? Was I meant in package? <laughs> well. Uh, go ahead and read another one. Okay. <laughs> Gothos Mansions says, Even though I like Batman and Wonder Woman, I've never wanted them to couple up. If Superman shouldn't get with Diana because he has Lois, Batman has Catwoman and Talia. Heck, in the animated continuity, he also very icky and creepily. No kidding, I agree with you. Hooked up with Batgirl, the one thing I really hold against Bruce Timm. Batman would never hook up with the daughter of one of his best friends or the ex of his son, which is what Dick really is. The animated Batman probably hooked up with Zatanna, too. Just because I like Batman doesn't mean I want him hooking up with every attractive DC heroine. I'm a Bruce Timm fan, but sometimes he seems like a teenage boy writing slash fiction when it comes to Batman and the ladies. I promise it isn't this nerd joy I promise it isn't just nerd boy jealousy because Batgirl and Wonder Woman are my top two comic book crushes. No, I get that. Oh, I mean, yeah, the, the whole, the, the Batgirl Bruce thing was just a, a, a bridge too much, too far. Yeah. I, the, I didn't, I, that's the one part of the animated stuff I, I don't, I don't care for. Yeah. So yeah, I, I totally, I totally get you. So yeah. Yeah, and we won't get into the animated version of the Killing Joke. Uh, no, no. no. Uh, so, <laughs> Tim Price, who I just uh, recorded with, we did a Roger Stern episode that was uh, uh, Tim uh, suggested as a, as a patron, mm. and we did a, a Roger Stern uh, episode that was a lot, lot of fun. And I, I know it's already come out. I think it's coming out tomorrow as we record this. So, but it was good to uh, podcast with Tim. It was a lot of fun. Uh, he writes in to say, "This was such a good spotlight on Dan- Diana." In particular, I enjoyed how many times she deflected bullets in this story, and the amount of ammo used was incredible. That's true. Mm-hmm. She was definitely a badass. You give up, right? I sure would. My first comics with Vandal was Wally West's Flash. I can appreciate his different looks over the years, but the Cro-Magnon look is intimidating. I'd love to see it back. Still, that wouldn't fit the Bond tone of this story. So Master Planner was appropriate and darned effective. But considering electricity is evil, Savage's plan should have been to mass-produce his electrical gun. Yeah, of course. That you know, why don't these guys, you know, mm. just like Despero creates three planets in an old Justice League comic, just go rule them, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Lizanne Oswald wrote in to say, "This was a fun episode." Nope, sorry, Chris. Cindy is right. They were just friends. That's um, uh, Princess. Uh, what's her name? Audrey. Audrey. Princess Audrey and Wonder Woman. The boy toys Audrey brought along are probably what she meant about party favors. Yeah, I think I think that's right. This isn't a Paul Dini. Hmm. Vox, I wonder if he was a Banshee bit, since they put in Marvel characters on the slide. You know, that's true. He flew and had a sonic blast. Mm-hmm. So, that's good point, Lizanne. Good point. Dial C for comment writes in, Hey, excellent episode. Been a while, but life will do that to you. 
I distinctly remember finding this one a bit boring as a kid. Something about the whole kingdom politics and the princess getting into shenanigans wasn't something that kept my attention. The whole Roman holiday reference flew over my head. And on the whole princess being possibly into Diana, I'd split. I'm split on one hand. I don't think there is anything there, but with the writers of this show, you never know, especially with the other and future stuff they snuck in under the radar. If the show was made now, I definitely could see them leaning more into her being into Diana. Mm, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't really think it was there. It just, you could, I mean. It, no. Yeah, but, well, we know that what they're getting at with Katma and John here. Oh, I know. But that's Again. also based on the fact that they were a couple in the comic books, too. So. Again, no. Okay. Uh, some guy named Robert Kelly writes in. I don't recall. I, I don't know him. Who is that? Somebody this, we know? This is the first time I've heard of him. Oh, okay. Now I'm still in Ryan's bit. I don't recall this episode of Justice League at all, but it sounds fun. I like the idea of a Roman holiday pastiche, but inserting Vandal Savage. His list of conquests must outdo Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> that I want to go out with a bang or more, if possible, line really made my eyebrows go up. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. As I have said before, Cindy's laugh is infectious, back when such a concept wasn't so terrifying. <laughs> yeah, well, if we could all just be infected with laughter, we'd be better off. But, this is true. Uh, well, that'll do it for this time. Uh, special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For information on how you can support the Fire & Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Join us next time as we cover one of the best and most beloved of all the Justice League stories, A Better World. We may even have a surprise for you on that one, too. See you then. Bye. Bye. JLU Cast is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide and is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue mommy and daddy. Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLUcast. Counterclockwise, not clockwise. That's what I did. Oh, no, you didn't. Wait, didn't you tell me that the clocks on Thanagar move in the opposite direction to those on Earth? Uh, I never said that. Oh, yes, you did. Hey, you two want to keep it down? You sound like an old married couple. <laughs>